As more comes to light about shell shock, the vulnerability found in Bash, a common command line used in operating systems based on Linux, Unix, and Apple's Mac OS, security experts have warned of the possibility for massive breaches. But as Mike Smith of online security firm Akamai says, we don't really know yet just how damaging this Bash vulnerability could be. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm now joined by Mike Smith to talk about what we know and don't know about Shellshock. So Mike, by this point, we've all heard quite a bit about Shellshock, but as you've said, there's a lot of misinformation that's flying around out there about what the risks really are and what risks aren't out there. Can you elaborate a little bit about where we are right now as far as what we know about Shellshock? Sure, so, so there, there are lots of things that are in there. So things get very, very complicated when you talk about this vulnerability, and it gets comp very, very complicated very, very quickly. Okay? Um, really, Bash is, is two things that are really of interest to us. The first one is it's an interactive command line um, when you log into a Unix box, or mo most likely a Linux box. Um, and that actually, you type in commands, and it interprets the commands, and actually calls other commands to run those. Um, the second piece is that you can create a script. So anything you could run on the command line, you have a scripting language inside of Bash, and so you can take what you would run on the command line, put that into a script, and then have the computer execute that script without your involvement. Okay? Um, so what happens is that when you start up, uh, especially the Linux box, there's one Bash script that starts everything that then calls all these other Bash scripts that turn on services, set up network devices, um, do a whole bunch of different maintenance things and, and bootstrapping things to get that particular computer up and operational. Well, Bash is the engine that makes all that work. Okay? Um, so what we're looking at with this particular vulnerability, and it's actually turned into a set of CVEs, um, right now, there are six CVEs that are open. Um, one was the original, there's a vulnerability, and it started with, there's a particular feature called the export function uh, that allows you to take one script and chain it to another and chain that to another, and they kind of share data back and forth. Well, you could basically say, hey, I'm going to export a function to you and then stop midstream and say, oh yeah, and run this command and the, the Bash shell itself wouldn't actually um, validate that, right? It would say, oh, okay, cool, you want me to do that. That's part of the function. I'll, I'll go do that. So that's the actual vulnerability, and there's some other ways uh, to exploit that in there. But that's the core vulnerability. And then people started looking at how do we actually get this thing to execute. One of the ways is through, through CGI. Right? So CGI is a way where you can take a shell script, and it doesn't even have to be Bash, it could be Bash, Perl, it could even be a C program, but you make, it's designed to be run on that particular server, and you make it available via the web through CGI. And all CGI does is it says, get an HTTP request and hand it off to this other program. So in doing that, you could say, hey, here's the exploit, the web server takes that, hands off the exploit to Bash to, to actually run that script, and then um, the Bash is compromised. Okay? Um, and you can run whatever command. So that was one way. There are other ways. So one way is DHCP, which is a welcome to the neighborhood um, network configuration settings when you drop it on a network. And so that way you could take a computer, 
drop it onto the network, and it would automatically detect where its DNS servers are, what's its, what's its IP address, what's its gateway out to the outside world, a whole bunch of different things. But there's a script functionality built into that on some operating systems where you can say, oh yeah, and run this script. Well, the DHCP client actually calls Bash to run that script. So you could technically get that um, operating system to execute that script when it, when it joins the network. Okay. Um, there are other applications, so some of the mail transport agents have this particular functionality where they hand off commands to Bash to go do some of the work for them. And then they have some various scripts that they do to move mail around or to do maintenance on themselves. So Mike, how exactly is Bash being exploited? The Bash project sat down and they said, okay, well, here's the attack that we know about, and this is going back to Thursday of last week. Here's the attack that we know about. How would we fix that? And so they said, well, here's the export function feature, and here's how it works, and here's how you'd exploit it. So let's check for the, the sequence of characters that would actually exploit this. And you're looking at um, left parenthesis, right parenthesis, um, you know, semicolon or colon, semicolon, left curly bracket, a whole bunch of different things. Um, all string together, and it's like 10 characters or so. Um, and so what they did was they put a, a fix in bash that said, look for that command sequence, and when you see that, go ahead and, and die as a script and return an error. So then they pushed that out as a patch. Um, that went out to the operating system maintainers who then patched their version that they're distributing, or their version of bash that they're distributing, and they started to push that out, and there were some patches for Red Hat, some patches for Debian. Then a whole bunch of people started looking at what did the patch do and what was the actual vulnerability. And what they found was that there were other ways that you could escape, send escape sequences to Bash to get that same functionality. So it wasn't just that magical string of characters. It was an additional set of ways that you could actually encode that particular function export feature to get the vulnerability triggered. And so there have been uh, a slew of other fixes that have come out and they're bouncing around. Um, but that opened um, up a total of the six CVEs that are open right now. So what patches are currently out there for these six CVEs you mentioned, Mike? There's the original patch that came out. There is something that was the unofficial patch that I believe is getting pushed out now is the official patch that takes that function ex export feature and disables it completely. Okay, so basically saying, hey, you know what, this, this whole thing didn't work, let's cut that off um, and not deal with that right now and then we'll figure out how to do this and do input sanitization for this feature in the right way. Um, the problem is, is if you go out and deploy that patch, um, it might break applications that depend on that. Okay? Now granted, that's a corner case. Not a lot of people, you know, to be very frank, not a lot of people have the skills to go write shell scripts that use export functions. Um, but there are people that can do that. Okay? Um, but if you have scripts that are relying on that export function, if you then go in and apply the patch that disables that feature, then the, those particular scripts won't work anymore. 
So, Mike, let me ask you quickly just to take a step back, and then I do want you to talk about this link between CGI and BASH, because you and I have talked about this before, that um, just because we have CGI doesn't necessarily mean that the BASH shell is present. But can you quickly define what CVE, CGI, and DHCP are? Sure. So CVE is the, the big catalog of vulnerabilities and exposures. Okay? And so what happens is when there's a, a vulnerability in a piece of software, and it doesn't matter, all vendors across the board, whenever there's a vulnerability, the people who maintain CVE, they get an identifier assigned. Okay? So then you can track that vulnerability by the identifier, and there's a particular set of information that has to go around it. What that means is that for Shellshock, there are now six individual vulnerabilities that have been recorded in the catalog that people have to consider. CGI is the common gateway interface, but it's a way that people can take applications that run on servers and make those available via the web, and all it is is a module for the web server that says, oh, when you receive this request, hand that off to this actual script that runs on the server itself. So the DHCP is Dynamic Host Control Protocol where you put a, a machine. It's usually, usually you run it for desktops or laptops, but you add them to a network. A lot of people use DHCP at home. They don't even know that. But when you get a little Wi-Fi router that you use for broadband, for home access, or for small offices, um, a lot of times enterprises will use it internally where they uh, have everybody's workstation, a laptop that's connected to the LAN or to Wi-Fi, and they'll serve up a dynamic IP address um, to those machines. That's all using DHCP. And so then can you just briefly give our audience some background on what the link between CGI and BASH is? Okay, so um, the, the, as far as the link between CGI and BASH, they're related, but they don't necessarily have to be. So BASH is a scripting language that happens to be on web servers. CGI is a way of transferring uh, web requests to applications running on the web server. So there's a, they're loosely related in that one would hand off to the other, but not all CGI applications are bash scripts, and not all bash scripts run as CGI, obviously. So they're kind of two different worlds, but they kind of cross over. And that's the interesting thing, is that historically there have been vulnerabilities inside of CGI. So back in Web 1.0, People would build websites. Their websites were very, very static. So you had, you had an HTML file, you had images. That's kind of what you were looking at. You had a brochure. Then people said, well, hey, we've got this functionality that we do on our servers. Why don't we expose that via the web? And so that's why CGI was created. So it's kind of a web 1.1 version where they, you'd use CGI and you would actually get your get some of the dynamic website functionality. Okay? And there's some websites out there that still use it. So people make payments using CGI applications. Um, obviously, they're not the same as they, as they were back in 1995 and 1996, but people use CGI applications in a whole bunch of different things. Now, the interesting thing is where you can take an application that's designed to run on a Linux box as a local user and now expose that through CGI and expose that out via the web, and now you've drastically increased the attack surface. Okay? Um, and, 
A, it's a good thing, right? Because now you have a website that has additional functionality, but you also increase the attack surface. There are many, many ways to write CGI applications um, and CGI and Bash applications that are just completely wrong. It's fairly hard to actually build CGI applications that are relatively secure. And that's why today we've got a different kind of way that we deal with things in that you have web servers that have a module that's built into them that actually executes the program language instead of calling a, a shell or something like that. So there are different, better, smarter ways to do it. Different vulnerabilities, a lot of the vulnerabilities are the same as the CGI way of doing things, but there's less vulnerability. Some of the ways that CGI hands off to scripts or even some of the scripts that can be exposed through CGI or made available via the web through CGI um, just don't exist in the way that we do things nowadays. That's a good point, Mike. I was going to ask you about Bash being outdated, but perhaps I should ask about CGI being outdated. Even though some of this is outdated, do most websites still use some of these codes or applications? Most websites don't. Most websites are going to use some kind of like second or third generation programming language built as a module into the web server. So good examples there. Um, PHP, not that PHP is the most secure in the world, but it, you know, it, it's it's there. It, it works that way. Some of the Java servlet stuff, some of the Ruby on Rails, some of the other ways that, that people are actually putting programs into web servers. There are actually two different ways that you could use CGI today. One is taking existing application that wasn't designed to be on the web and using CGI as a glue to make that available via the web. Okay? And there are lots of good examples of that. Things like um, GIS applications okay, that run as servers, making those available. Um, sometimes you have a database. So I've seen a lot of researchers where they say, here is our database and we just need a lightweight way to query the database to retrieve records. So we'll make CGI because it's really easy to build these things and get them up and going. Um, and then the second type of CGI applications that are out there in use are things that were created a long time ago, they work, they function very, very well, and so it's not really cost-effective or in the interest of the company to go rewrite that into a more, you know, more modern programming language. Now, having said all that, there are lots of just really small utilities that exist out there. A great example would be HTML form, and you need to send an email. Okay? You don't necessarily need the full programming environment to do that, all you have to do is grab a couple form fields from the HTTP request and then transfer that into an application that's made to send mail. Okay? Um, so that's a really good one. Uh, I'm back in the web 1.0 era. There were a whole bunch of these little CGI scripts and applications that were made. Some were in Bash, some were in Perl, some were in, you know, I think there are even TCLTK applications that are out there. But they were simple scripts that were designed to do just one little thing. Um, and then people added functionality, but they were designed to do one, you know, just one simple thing and then not worry about it. Right? So um, you have lots of these little scripts. Now where this increases the attack service for a company is that you maybe you have your major web application, totally not a problem. Shellshock isn't a problem there because you know, you, you're, it's all built in a modern language. But 
you might be running one or two maintenance utilities, you know, a backup utility or a system monitor. So you hit CGI bin and you say, hey, what's the status of the CPU server? You know, how much RAM are we using? Things like that. Those are really good to build into CGI programs. I mean, really easy to build into CGI programs. And so a lot of those exist out there. So you might have applications like that that you're running that you just don't know about that, that are still there. And so there's been a lot of effort over the past week at doing scanning to find these, okay? find these things where they're at, and check to see if they're actually vulnerable. This is the end of the first part of a two-part interview with Mike Smith of Akamai. Be sure to check back for part two when Mike discusses how hackers are exploiting bash vulnerabilities in the wild. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.